0: Listeners, there's honestly nothing I love more than a good writing retreat, especially one that comes with solid coaching and the chance to meet other writers who are working on similar projects. This fall, three Author Accelerator Certified Book Coaches are offering what sounds like a dream retreat, if what you're working on is telling your own story. It's called Mainly Memoir, and it's a retreat for women writers in historic Biddeford, Maine. Mainly Memoir will provide three days in the gorgeous Maine woods in September with one-on-one coaching both before, during, and after the retreat. It is the perfect opportunity to give yourself the gift of time and focus so that you can make real progress on your memoir this year. Mainly Memoir will be held from September 21st through 24th, 2023. A scholarship is available for a memoirist from a community that has been traditionally underrepresented and publishing. Learn more at MainlyMemoir.com and as you've probably guessed, Mainly is spelled M-A-I-N-E-L-Y. So that's Maine the State, MainlyMemoir.com.
1: Hey, it's Jess here with a little intro to this week's podcast. We are re-upping a podcast episode with Jordan Shapiro and Jazz because it is about sensitivity reading. I was on um, Twitter recently and someone compared sensitivity readers to book burners, essentially to being a part of woke culture that's ruining books for everybody. So I really wanted to uh, give Jazz and Jordan the opportunity to talk about what sensitivity readers do. Um, Many of your favorite authors use them, thank goodness, because it helps us explain other people's perspectives in a way that is empathetic, that takes their perspective into mind. Anyway, I'm going to let them tell you more about it, but I hope you enjoy this week's re-upped podcast on sensitivity readers with Jordan Shapiro and Jazz. Is it
0: recording? Now it's recording. Yay! Go ahead.
1: This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone remember what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. <laughs> okay. KJ Delantonia, and this is hashtag amwriting, the weekly podcast about writing all the things. Short things, long things, fiction, non-fiction, pitches, proposals. In short, this is the podcast about sitting down and getting your
1: work done. I'm Jess Leahy. I'm the author of The Gift of Failure and the now out (laughs) the addiction inoculation i'm just so excited to have it out in the world and uh these days you can find my writing at the washington post and the new york times and uh a lot of other places but um i am just so excited to be here today and and kj who are you <laughs> I am. I'm overflowing with excitement. So you see, I almost let KJ go without introduction. Going to yeah. be in
0: a, a great yeah. episode. But before we get to it, yeah. I am KJ Delantonia, the author of the New York Times bestseller, which I still love saying, "The Chicken Sisters," <laughs> as well as the nonfiction parenting book, "How to Be a Happier Parent." Former editor and lead writer of the Motherload blog at the New York Times, and right now entirely focused on novel number two. I wouldn't even call myself a freelancer moment. But
1: very is. exciting. So yes. exciting. So here's here's what I'm so excited about. So we have two guests today. This is like unprecedented. Um our first guest that I would like to introduce is Jordan Shapiro. I found out about Jordan Shapiro. Oh, it's been six years ago, I think, um, when Jordan was writing about education for Forbes and um, a column there that I really loved. And we sort of met through that and end up getting to do some cool stuff together. And I just became a big fan of his writing. And I became a big fan of his approach to topics that normally seem fairly cut and dry. So for example, with his first book that I fell in love with called The New Childhood, Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World, he helped me really think about tech in a different way. And he has a new book coming out on May 11th called Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. And it's great. I love this book. And Jordan, I also just have to mention, since it's in your bio, that Jordan also, when he was 13 years old, won $10,000 on American, America's Funniest People uh, by singing a song about where what part of the pig hot dogs come from. So there we are. There's Jordan's introduction. Jordan, Thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: I'm excited to be here. And thanks for uh, mentioning America's Funniest People. You know who else was on that episode? The dog Beethoven was the guest host for that episode. So we were (laughs) petting the dog Beethoven. Remember from the Beethoven Yes,
1: I absolutely do. (laughs) The reason Jordan is on the show today is that Jordan is a white male and Jordan is writing a book about um, that needed to be a little bit more inclusive than just his white male perspective. And so one of the questions that we get a lot in the Hashtag AmWriting Facebook group is about sensitivity readers and Somewhere along the way, when I was talking to Jordan about this book, Father Figure, he mentioned that he worked with a sensitivity reader. And I was like, oh, my gosh, can we have this person on the show? And so I would like to pull Jazz in now. And Jordan, would you like to sort of introduce us to Jazz and explain how you two came together? Oh, yeah, to work I guess so.
2: Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, the the book, as you put nicely, like I, I needed to be aware of the fact of what, what perspective I was writing from writing as a as a white cisgendered male. How do you how do you ask all the questions from perspectives you don't have? How do you make sure you didn't make mistakes? You know, I felt pretty confident in my ability to write about cisgender women questions uh, you know I I had researched enough about that but I was really interested in, I was really worried I should say about whether or not I would make unintentional mistakes that I really didn't want to make when it came to LGBTQ plus issues and so I looked for a sensitivity reader and first my, my editor at little Brown suggested I already forgot the name of the, the site that I, that I found it on, but I, I, I reached out to a few different people. Happy to talk more about that process, interviewed them, found, found, found one that, uh, that, that seemed to vibe the best with me. And that was jazz. So jazz, I think I'm supposed to introduce you now, jazz. So welcome <laughs> jazz. Well,
0: <laughs> I do want to, to hear about the process <laughs> of finding yeah. jazz. Um, you actually mentioned the name of the website
1: earlier. Let's let's rack our brains. Quiet House? Quiet House. Yeah, Quiet House. Um, and and uh, Quiet House is a clearinghouse or Quiet House is sort of like a matchmaking sort of organization for sensitivity readers and authors?
3: Um, to my knowledge, it's a publishing company and okay. the uh, diversity reading is just um, like an additional project that they had.
1: Okay, excellent, excellent. All right, so could you tell us a little bit about the process of sort of how you came together as a as a dynamic duo?
2: <laughs> okay, I'll I'll start with that. Um, so I so so what happened was I went on on Quiet House. It has a whole list of many 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 diversity and sensitivity readers, and um. Um, and, and each one has a profile that tells you a little bit about the kinds of things they read for. I, I like that you said uh, uh, matchmaking because it kind of did feel like that a little bit. I was sort of like reading through 50 different uh, profiles, trying to read between the lines and understand like, what, what can I guess about th- these people and what they're good at based on this, uh, ba- based on this little profile. Um, and I think I emailed, I'm going to guess knowing myself four to five or six different people, Um, And I think four of them responded, they'd be happy to talk. And I think I ended up doing phone calls with three of them. I remember there was one that I just I had already uh, settled on jazz when when we got when it was time to schedule. So I didn't do the last phone call. And I talked to the three different people and I asked them a lot of questions. I mean, uh, questions. Uh, it'll be interesting to, to hear jazz talk about this process. Questions I asked just kind of, who are you? what What's your specialty? What do you know? But also questions about uh, about feminist theory, about queer theory, you know, trying to sort of go. Go. will will this person understand really what I'm trying to do with the book and that was a hard guess and and again, whenever I'm interviewing anyone for that kind of thing, what I'm really looking for is just the sense that i I'm gonna feel comfortable working with this person uh, you know I, i'm I'm looking for someone who's going to challenge me I'm looking for someone who's gonna ask me hard questions. I'm not looking for someone I'm going to agree with. I'm just looking for someone whose personality uh, seems to mesh where I'm like yeah i I could get into some hard some hard situations with, with, with this person. And, uh, and I think, I think Jazz and I talked for about an an hour the first time. Um, And then I was like, yep, ready to go. No question about it.
0: (laughs) So Jazz, tell us how you got into this.
3: Interesting. Um, I stumbled upon Quiet House because I actually have family who um, was published by them. And the, uh, the main editor was looking to expand the diversity reading team. And so my name came up. And I was looking for some extra projects at the time, and I was thinking, oh, you know, I, I love to read. I don't have excuses to read anymore, and this is going to be just a perfect uh, way to dive back into <laughs> to a culture that I love so much. So um, they signed me up, and, and I just had my name up there, and I waited for, for individuals or um, the editor herself to, to contact me if people were interested.
0: Have you done a number of projects, or is Jordan among the first?
3: Um, I've done a few projects. I'd say uh, under 10 Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's still relatively new for me, um, but they've come in all shapes and sizes, fiction, nonfiction, uh, v- varieties within the, the, the subgenres. So it's really been uh, diverse. And
0: <laughs> as a reader, uh, how do you see both the need for and the job of a sensitivity reader?
3: Well, essentially what we are, we're, we're a beta reader who were hired based on lived and, and personal experience with topics that the the uh, author of the manuscript might not have or might not um, have access to that kind of experience. So, um, I mean, that's that's my goal with uh,
0: mm-hmm.
3: with that is is really just trying to uh, bridge gaps uh, and create manuscripts that are inclusive uh, and that are proofread by someone who has more of a lived experience than necessarily, like I said, the uh, the author of the manuscript.
0: As a as a reader, do you find yourself frequently seeing that in the books that you're reading like for, for as a younger reader, did you feel unrepresented in the kinds of books that you were reading and also probably wrongly represented?
3: Uh, I would say it's hit or miss. Every project is unique. Uh, and so what I found is maybe I'd say fiction was a little bit more difficult with the representation. Uh, nonfiction, I find that the authors did take a little bit more time to research the, the specific topics that mm-hmm. I would be, um, adding input for. So it varies. It definitely varies.
1: Talk a little bit about how the process works. Um, Jordan, did Jazz read like the finished manuscript, or was Jazz a part of it as it went along? And did Jazz help shape some of the ideas? Were there things that you found you needed to change from a structural perspective once you had input from Jazz? I'm sort of curious about how the partnership works.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I was I was pretty close to done, I should say. I was in that. I, I um, um you you all know I was in that like crunch time deadlines close and much further away than I'm admitting to anyone but also knowing that I have to finish it pretty pretty soon. Um, and and I think I had the first three parts of Father Figure mostly done. Um um I and I sent one part at a time to Jazz. I was still uh, fixing up other parts, but it was pretty close to the 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 penultimate uh draft. Um and then but I will say that I think you know A lot had already changed in my perspective from working with jazz so that in that in that one month uh, uh, of going back and forth with parts one, two and three, part four became something very different than what I had imagined when I had when I had started it. I don't know about very different, but but certainly certainly different.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of pressure that I was I was thinking about the pressure that's on me when I'm coming close to a deadline and then to add the pressure of and by the way you better read fast jazz because we are getting down to the wire here there's that turnaround time that's scary
2: the sort of terrifying possibility that jazz might have might have come back and 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 said said this entire chapter is terrible and is going to offend a ton of people um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which which luckily didn't happen, <laughs> but I can yeah. tell you I was scared of it.
1: <laughs> I I really just appreciate the vulnerability because I think for me, I don't show people my work until it's completely done, and part of that is just because it's so scary to have to, especially because you're talking about experiences and life experiences that you couldn't have been exposed to and so how would you know differently and yet you don't want to look like you didn't get it in the first place. It's a it's a place of vulnerability that I think a lot of authors would find really scary. Was What was your experience of that?
2: Well, I, I just threw myself into it. I mean, a, f- a funny part about it is actually the same time that jazz was reading it, I was sending it to my own father at the same time. And I used to joke that this was a different kind of sensitivity read <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> because a, a book that's all about how fatherhood needs to change. Going to your own father is is, is a little terrifying. Um, so, so there were two there were two going on at once. And uh, and uh, um, and I guess at that point I, 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 I needed, you know, I, I I'm I'm like you Jess and don't really share with anyone but Amanda before before it goes to the editor no one else sees any 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 writing before it goes to the editor but at this point I was at the end so it, it was it was time it was time to do that and it was Yes, very vulnerable, but also gave me so much confidence afterwards. I mean, I mean, I was sort of like I, 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 I confronted that the what I knew was the ultimate hurdle. I mean, the two ultimate hurdles here to me were, were this: uh, uh, thinking about sensitivity, diversity, and my own father.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would for me. I think one of the scary things about coming out with a new book that you know is just is there going to be someone with some expertise in something that I couldn't have experienced and they're going to have just a very different idea about that and while you can't cover all of your bases I think you can you know sensitivity readers can really help you um get there and so jazz I want to talk a little bit about um It is really difficult to give writers feedback about their work. Let's just let's just put it that way. Like whenever I ask anyone to read my stuff or if anyone asks me to read their stuff, I say, now, hold on. What is your goal in giving this to me? Like, do you want feedback about grammar or do you want big picture stuff? So did you have to have a conversation like that? Like what are what kind of feedback do I want? What kind of feedback? How do I want to give it to me? That kind of thing. Um, How does that go?
3: Uh, yeah, so for me personally, I have kind of a, a rubric or a, a document, or report document that I set up. Um, but again, this varies author to author. So I, when we spoke for the first time, I kind of got a a, a taste for what kind of input John was looking for. Uh, and so in reading the manuscript, um, I am someone who just, I love, I love everything. Uh, I was excited to read it. I was excited by the topic. And so immediately I was off to tell myself, okay, Jazz, be objective. Um, so as much as I, you know, I read a sentence, this is so beautiful. I have to remember to go back then and say, okay, but, um, from the perspective of someone with my lived experience, what can be changed? And so personally, I I have a difficult time because I I don't want to necessarily critique a work that I find excellent, but that is my job. And so, I mean, the giving input, um, I try and make sure that it's within the topics that are, uh, Specifically requested by the author. If there's any additional comments, I'll usually add them at the end. Um, but I really try and stay within um, the realm of uh, of topics that have been discussed prior to to reading. Um, and like I said, I try to remain extremely objective with uh, with those points, despite necessarily uh, falling in love with a piece. I, I have to remember that you know, this is what this is what my job is. Right. I have to remember that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: You are, in a way, another editor. And so if we come to that relationship with sort of the, you know, this isn't personal, this is, you know, and these are not assaults against me as a, you know, a person, then we can handle it. But we writers, we we can be a sensitive bunch. And, and, you know, it's hard because, you know, a book really is like... Birthing something and and you feel so personal about it and you feel so you know sensitive about the language that you use that I could see that that would be tricky. So I guess I guess the takeaway there is as long as you're dealing with this is like a business relationship and this is my job and this is my assignment and you come to terms on sort of um, we've talked about this in terms of co-writing books as well too. One of our co-hosts she she co-writes a lot and uh, it's just something I've never had to deal with as a writer, but I really can appreciate that how that working relationship would work. So. From your perspective, Jordan, looking at your book before Jazz read it and the book that you would have created if Jazz had not been a part of this process, how were those books different? Was there a difference? Do you feel like do you feel like there's a difference between the the work that you would have created on your own and the work that you could have created with Jazz on board?
2: I think it's I think it's better um, I you know I, I'm not I'm not sure it would have I'm not sure it would have been that you know I'm not sure the goals ever changed mm-hmm. right so 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 I think I I think what jazz really enabled me to do was to meet my goals in a in a much more comprehensive way um um and so in 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 that sense it's not so much that the book would have been different but it certainly wouldn't have. Been successful, and 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 the truth is, uh, I mean, maybe it would still be successful. Who knows? But 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 it wouldn't have been successful from my perspective of having of of doing what it needed to to do. Um, and I don't know. I feel I feel like jazz. You should give some examples of some of the some yeah, of yeah. That was going
1: to be my next question. I would love that. I would love
3: that. <laughs> Sure. I mean, like, first off, I know I I spoke, uh, we spoke about it briefly, Jordan, um, how you sent it to me in different parts, uh, and each part of the book had a different theme um, that you discussed in the introduction, like the four guiding principles that you're trying to present uh, for fatherhood with this book. Um, And so it it was fun for me going through piece by piece and seeing how I could apply my notes um, in a way that would represent what you're trying to, the message you're trying to create with this book. Um, And so I looked out specifically an example would be um, my lived experience as someone who's non-binary and using language that is appropriate for someone who is a non-binary parent, for example, or a parent who is um, parenting a non-binary child, uh, things like that.
1: Jordan, did you hire Jazz as an independent contractor or was this something you did through your publisher? How did that the nuts and bolts end of it work?
2: i hired jazz as an independent contractor um and i think that's always that's always different uh whether or not publishers are doing it or not um but this the but 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 i hired jazz directly myself i mean it with a lot of conversation with the with the with the publisher certainly it was not a private private secret secret thing and um i wonder if I don't know if the publisher ever saw Jazz's report. I'm wondering if I ever, hmm. if I ever sent that. I don't, I don't. It didn't really matter because I, um, uh, I, I had addressed, you know, I had addressed. Uh, pretty much everything well Mm -hmm. actually everything in jazz's report was was i ended up addressing so there they didn't i I, the reason i'm saying that is because i could imagine if i had not addressed some things i would have also sent my editor the report so they could have a a a judgment on whether it was okay for me to ignore this piece of advice and the other
1: thing so I and KJ have no problem talking about money but I know it can be really really sensitive so I'm going to ease into it by asking if this was a sort of an hourly rate or a project rate how how did that work for someone who wants to hire a sensitivity reader they're going to be looking at like a a project rate or a that kind of thing
2: I mean I'm going to guess it depends on the on the reader I I got very okay. different very different quotes from different people. Um, okay, I mean they were all similar. I uh, the the cost didn't play any role in my decision making process, so they were close enough that it wasn't like uh, th- it, w- it wasn't that kind of question. Um, but it was a, it was both a, a, a project and a um, per word.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. I am just find this whole entire thing fascinating, and I one of the things that's been really interesting is as authors are writing about experiences outside of their own. I know, like, for example, Serena, our our co-host who's not with us today, she writes about people who are very different from her. And she also brings on board sensitivity readers to help her understand what their perspective might be. And I think in telling stories that are a part of experiences that are outside of us, um, there's going to be this need to say, oh, hold on, wait a second, let me help you understand how this experience might be uh, perceived differently. And I'm So grateful that jazz you're doing the work that you're doing so that we can have books that are for everyone and not just for, you know, a white cis male experience or a female, you know, cis, sorry, white female cis expect experience. So because we're all learning. Yes, KJ. Ken, well
0: without specifically talking about any of the fiction projects that you've done, because who would, you know, I mean, that would be silly, but I would love to hear what some of the experience of being a sensitivity reader has been with fiction. What are some of the kinds of things that you find yourself um, talking to authors about changing or uh, evolving?
3: In fiction, it often comes down to uh, issues of description of race gender or class mm-hmm. uh, that's often what i what i found myself dealing with sometimes it uh, deals with uh, a mental health um subjects as well which uh, are sometimes a little bit more difficult to describe if you don't have the lived experience but would that
0: be like the mental health experience of living life as lgbtq plus is Is that what you mean? or or are you talking about sort of a specific you
3: know I'm more general more general okay. let's say someone who experiences depression and anxiety or um, you know a variety of other uh, mental health topics um, addiction also mm-hmm. is another one that thats uh, that some authors uh, discuss um, and I'm happy to give feedback on those kinds of topics and i was I was actually come up.
1: I was actually Serena's sensitivity reader on her addiction stuff for one of her books. I, I read through some stuff and she, it was really fun because she basically said, does this feel authentic to you? Does this feel like something that someone would be experiencing? And and in that way, when I have that sort of those instructions, it was really fun to read it for that angle. I hadn't ever really done that.
3: Yeah. And that's exactly, that's exactly the question that I ask myself when I'm, when I'm going through the manuscript is, does this feel authentic? Uh, If this was coming from you know my own lived experience, is this is this realistic? Um, And that's how I base my notes that I that I provide to the author.
1: And if it's not, do you ever find yourself in a position of saying, what if you did this or what if you did that? Have you ever done that with authors?
3: Yeah. So sometimes, if it's something simple, I might just point out um, a specific part uh, of the manuscript. I might put it in quotations, or I might point to the page that it was on and say, hey, uh, I would suggest maybe replacing some of the language here. And I might not give a suggestion because it might, you know, be obvious enough. Whereas uh, in other situations, I might see a need for a specific item of vocabulary. And in, in which case I will give a, an example of what might be a more appropriate way to, uh, to phrase the, the the phrasing question.
0: Have you had experiences where an author is portraying uh, a fictional response or emotion that you didn't feel like was authentic to the way um Someone would really perceive a situation.
3: I believe so. Yes, I'm trying to pull a specific
1: example
3: <laughs> coming up. It's been it's been a little while, but uh, I'd, I'd say definitely.
1: It's. Uh, I was thinking about the difference between nonfiction sensitivity reading and fiction sensitivity reading, and you know, I'm possessive of my stuff, but that's not, but my stuff is coming from like the world out there. Whereas, like with fiction, this is so elaborate up in here in your head that to have someone else come in and say know that thing that you're perceiving up here in your imagination isn't going to ring true for a reader who has actually experienced that. It's a really interesting sort of blending of the the real and the completely fictional world. I I love that. It's a really cool place to be.
0: Well, I would imagine that you find yourself in the position of, it's not really a question of, would you have felt that way? It's a question of, does that ring true to you as a member of this community that the author is not a, a member of? So that's a really, it's yeah. a different approach.
1: And I could see that there would be times when you'd have to hire more than one sensitivity reader for a project. You know, if you had... You know, I anyway, we've been talking about them. I can imagine that you could be like, okay, I need like three or four people to help with this particular intersection of characters in my world. And that could get interesting. That could get really, really interesting. I would love to have like do a book club. And it would, this would be so nerve wracking and horrible, but have all of everyone in the room together discussing your manuscript. <laughs> And all of the all of the things. Oh my gosh, that'd it would be, be a like great podcast episode. Just will get people to do, just dissect your yeah. next dissect work. my work. Yeah, that would be really fun and so help good for my mental health, right there. Yeah.
3: Yes. <laughs> do you
1: do you like doing this?
3: Honestly, I love doing this. Um, I have a preference for nonfiction, which uh, is another reason why I love working on this specific project so much. Um, nonfiction uh, specifically. I get to touch on subjects that I like to discuss in my daily life. Um, whereas with nonfiction, it's maybe a little bit more difficult to kind of. I do sign um, normally a non-disclosure agreement where I don't talk about the uh, the specific um, contents of the manuscript. And so obviously, fiction that I end up I'm completely alone. Whereas with uh, nonfiction, it's sometimes more general or yeah you know, more general topics that you know are part of my daily life, and it's exciting to to talk about them and then to apply. Uh, my experience, and even my discussion with uh, with my peers and my my colleagues and other people in my immediate environment, how to apply that to to what I'm reading in this nonfiction piece that that the author has obviously done research on and is you know hoping to get the best version of what message they're trying to to put. They're trying to get that best version of it out into the world. Um, so I do find that specifically exciting.
1: It's also really exciting that we're at a place right now where. We're talking so much more about how representation matters, and it's important to see yourself in books, and it's important for that kid to read something and say, oh, that experience feels so real to me. And I love the fact that suddenly now, you know, now more than ever, we're thinking about how to ensure that um, we're inclusive in our writing and that we represent real lived experiences and allow – I always think of that kid who, you know, for the first time ever says, oh, wow, that's me that's me in that experience I that's how I always at its essence that's what it means to me to be inclusive of, of shared experiences so well thank and, you to, and, yeah and, uh, and also one thing
2: I, like I think you uh, as a as a nonfiction writer and writing something that's gonna be um, Pretty, pretty widely widely talked about in in the media and show up in bookstores. And one of the things that, that that I was really nervous about was was how do we normalize certain things, right? And are and are we normalizing inclusive things or non inclusive things? Uh, you know, I, every every book, uh, an author like any of us right and end up end up sort of setting the uh, a standard for what for what's for what people consider just just normal and 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 that was why it was so important to me is that I, I didn't want to write a book about fatherhood that 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 put normal Binary. I shouldn't say normal. See, it's not even normal. (laughs) (laughs) Just got out out. her. Just got out their
1: red pen. Their red pen for that, and put a big circle around Jordan's screen on the the, uh, the computer.
2: But 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 didn't didn't want to have have binary or 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 heteronormative um, assumptions built in, which doesn't mean I was trying to write a book that was um, about. Like You know, I wasn't trying to write a book that was com- that was about all the different parts of a gender conversation or a sexuality conversation, but I definitely didn't want one that was about fatherhood to be uh, to be uh, alienating or marginalizing anyone uh, uh, fr- from being allowed to participate in that conversation or feeling that they were normal in that conversation. And so and so that that's why jazz played such an important part in this book.
0: Jordan were there yeah. specific uh parts of the book that jazz commented on that were harder to understand what you needed to change or that were more of a surprise to you
2: I mean the the big surprise for me was 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 actually how uh, that that there wasn't a lot more i mean that <laughs> i had to change and and that was, and that was because things things would come from jazz that made me go Whoa, I hadn't even considered that. <laughs> How did I not screw that up 16 other times? Like as, as soon as I read it, it made sense. I, I mean, jazz is very, very, very good at what they do. And it and it's it's so so it, it, it was all clear to me. But but there were places I'll get I mean, there were there were so many places where I tried to use inclusive language and I did it by saying things like, I don't know, let's say boyfriend, girlfriend or non-binary friend. And 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 um, and jazz pointed out that, that, that you can't even put a third category there as if it's a category. Right. Right. Because that 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 starts to imply another uh, that, that it is something when it's actually not something it's it, it, it's it's the right to not have to be categorized um, and and so there the, the were places like that where i that hadn't occurred to me in that way like i here I thought I was doing the right thing, and so much about this book is about this right fathers who 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 believe they're doing the right thing, who want to do the right thing and and just have not considered it so so those were those were those places where things would just pop up and then i'd go back and go how did i get this wrong how did I, how did how like and, and how did i not get it wrong every third paragraph considering i had never i, could, I had never considered it before i i would think i was very lucky in, in in many ways um but i don't know that that wasn't that there was nothing that was that hard i could imagine that if i were um Maybe if I were writing a different book that wasn't so much about being inclusive and hadn't just spent a year of and a half of my life thinking about how do you how you know how do you have a much more responsive inclusive way of interacting with people that I might have been defensive or, or 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 struggled with some of those the the things, but almost everything was, was sort of a simple fix. I mean, maybe like that's the thing about all, all this stuff is like, it's not hard. It's not, it, it, I mean, it's hard to know all the things and to recognize all the things, but it's really not a big deal for us to say, Hey, we'll use different pronouns. Like, like it doesn't hurt me. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me to, to, to use inclusive language. So why wouldn't I?
1: And personally, I love that moment you described where like, oh my gosh, I had never thought about it that way before. There's that sort of moment of sort of wonder and then a little bit of embarrassment that I've never thought about it that way before. But the overriding emotion for me is cool. <laughs> I never thought about it that way before. So I love that. And I, I just, I really am enjoying the relationship between the two of you on this on this book. It sounds like it was a fulfilling, I hope it was a fulfilling relationship for both.
3: Yeah, um, I was gonna say too, it was a, uh like i said I, it, it's hard to be objective if you're reading something you really love right and so i i just you know i have to sing jordan's phrases a little bit I did really enjoy reading this book um, and in giving my feedback uh for the example that he just provided i actually used the example that he wrote in the book and tried to apply um something that was actually included in uh in one of the sections about you know putting people into into categories Um, And I was like, so you talked about putting people into categories. So now let's talk about, and it was honestly, it was a really fun experience for me to, I was applying something that I was learning through his own book that I was reading for him. So I feel like we really, it it was a good match for, for this book. If I, if I did say so myself, I had a great time.
1: I have to say, Jazz, it sounds like you're an awfully good teacher, too, because that's that's a real that's a real talent is helping someone see something using, especially when they're you're using someone's own examples. That's a really uh, that sounds like you'd be a really great teacher. You are a really great teacher. <laughs>
3: Thank you. I do have a background in education, so I, I appreciate it.
1: Lovely, lovely. KJ, do we need to take a break for a sponsor message? Always.
0: If you've been listening to Jessica Leahy on Hashtag amwriting at all, you know thought-provoking, actionable advice is her trademark. But have you taken your relationship to the next level and picked up her latest book, The Addiction Inoculation, Raising Healthy Kids in a Culture of Dependence? Peggy Orenstein called it a vital look into best practices parenting, with advice so smart that we can all benefit from her hard-won wisdom. Conceded. It does not make a good gift in most social situations. Be warned. But it does make a really helpful read, and it's out in paperback, so grab one today. So this has been a fabulous conversation about how the two of you worked together. And now we would like to shift gears a little bit and talk about the other things that you have been, what have you been taking in as readers? This is the part of the the, the show where we like to talk about what you have been reading. Well, then I'm going to start with jazz. What is something that you have read and really enjoyed lately besides the excellent father figure by Jordan (laughs) Shapiro?
3: Besides the obvious. um, So one book that I I love to talk about, I pull it out of my bookshelf every once in a while, just for some refreshers. Uh, It's a book called um, beyond he and she, uh, what's your pronoun? Uh, It's got great references for uh inclusive language it's by um Denis Bahon, Dennis Barron, i believe is the english pronunciation um and it's it, it's a wonderful book about um expanding your understanding of pronouns outside of the binary uh and the historical uses as well which i find very interesting I may
1: Pronoun- to to
0: pronouns are crazy fascinating um uh, you but- know yeah as well so as a First of all, I have a very small amount of experience in trying to learn to speak Chinese for for a Mm -hmm. trip that we took a long time ago and they don't use pronouns. So um, and I have an adoptive child who had uh, some experience with Chinese language as well as with English language. And when we uh, when she first came to this country, pronouns to to her were interchangeable. So that was a really interesting thing to watch. And it made me very aware when later in my experience as a parent, I began to have friends with non-binary kids and to want to use the more inclusive language. It made me very aware of how, when your language has the pronouns, it, I mean, it it just invades every part of your thinking. So Mm -hmm. even if you're now looking at, you know, a non-binary child who you have never related to, in a gendered way. Like, I mean, it's a child, right? You've never had a case. It's not like you've had to think of them in some way that had to do with biological, you know, some biological function that had, that, that requires. So, but there you are, your brain still wants to do it. It's really, really difficult. Whereas if we lived somewhere, you know, if our language didn't include so much pronoun, it would be well, less we don't intense. even have, we don't even was, have gender now. Yes, <laughs> yes. I have oh tried to have Frank this and conversation. And yeah. I have had to try to have this conversation with my Spanish teacher to ask, like, how do you all deal with? the gendered nouns and it's almost like we it's some of the there's, this is a language barrier because i'm not that great at spanish but I, so i don't know the answer yet um what's jazz, it sounds jazz, like you, you, my you can speak stupid. about this from
2: french right <laughs> yeah i was gonna french. say
3: this is this is my whole life uh linguistics and grammatical gender consumes my all day every day um i'm i'm from a french-speaking community French was actually my, my first language and french is a heavily gendered language Um, and so even just learning to understand inclusive uh, non-gendered language in in English was an adjustment um, because French is like Spanish where all the nouns are gendered um, grammatical gender it's you know the everything that's associated to the noun takes on the gender of the noun Um, and so that was a really big adjustment even just trying to understand oh English has a Gender neutral French doesn't. Oh my goodness, how do I, how do I in French? um And so I study. Uh, I'm studying Danish actually right now uh, because Danish is very similar to English as a what we call a natural language where they have the pronouns and they have some gender, but they're also very, uh, very loose and inclusive with the with the language. Um, and then if you go further up the ladder, so there's gendered languages like Spanish and French, natural lan- languages like uh, English and Danish that have you know the Pronouns, but not necessarily gender. And then there's genderless languages like you just mentioned in Chinese. And there's also uh, and Finnish, I should have
0: said Mandarin because Mandarin, absolutely. I, I, and, I actually um, don't know about Cantonese, but I believe it to be the same.
3: I believe so as well, based on my research. Um, Turkish also is another language uh, that some English speakers like to learn as a, a genderless language because uh, because it gives them some insight into exactly like you were saying. You know, growing up without that in your language, it impacts how you communicate in general with you know kids
0: so what is the approach in french where um every descript and this is what i was trying to ask my spanish teacher mm-hmm. like every descriptive noun if you're saying writer you have to you have to apply a gender to that to get Absolutely. it to, cor- to be correct what is the approach in french to taking gender out of the language or change or making it a little more neutral so a french-
3: lot more neutral French is uh, a little bit different than some of the other romance languages where you have, you know, Italian and Spanish, where a lot of the endings of words are just, or, ah, and it's, you know, the gendered ending. In French, we have like full, long, five-letter endings where you can't really interchange masculine or feminine and there isn't really a neutral uh, available. And so right now, I know that uh, in France particularly, they're, uh, they're refusing to we use inclusive language. Uh, Usually what we do is we put a big round dot in between uh, where it would be the masculine ending or the feminine ending, but even then, you're putting masculine first, for example. So that's still not super Mm -hmm. inclusive um, and it's still using both masculine and feminine. So it's not really creating anything that's gender neutral. So this is definitely a work in progress in French. Right now, uh, (laughs) we're we're slowly introducing it. There's the pronoun el, spelled I-E-L, which is kind of a mix of ill and l, which is mm-hmm. he and she, and so we're we're trying to push a little bit for uh for inclusive endings to kind of be changed from what they are now to be that neutral. So combining the feminine and masculine to create uh, a neutral, but it's we're a long way away. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's the cool thing about language is it is a living thing it is evolving it's changing that's the definition of a living language is that it will continue to evolve and change as we do and and i love it i love it i love it jordan what have you been reading that you like
2: uh the best thing i've read recently is uh uh interior chinatown um um by by charles uh, charles you is that is that his name. Yes. Um,
0: I talked about it on a previous episode. It's excellent.
2: Oh, it's, it's, it was, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, I actually finished it and immediately decided I was going to, I was going to use it th- this semester at Temple university for my students. I always try to give them something brand new. Um, but, and that was, that was really great. That was definitely the best thing I read all year. Um, and right now I'm reading the, um, the, uh, the, the new novel by, um, uh, Ishiguro, the Clara and the Sun, which is which is uh, I which which I can't wait to hand to my children because I know I know they're going to like that too.
0: On my list, I was actually just I've talking to um, our my favorite bookseller yesterday, but we were talking on the street, not in the bookstore, so I haven't bought mine yet. Um, I just finished Conjure Women. And we're going to have to look up the author, but it's a book set in the time uh, in and immediately after slavery that focuses very much on the experience of the enslaved uh, and the transition that they underwent. And it's really fascinating. That's that's um, that's all I got there. It's just a really interesting read. And it's also a little bit interesting just as a thought exercise, because the author is a Black British person, not a Black American, but writing about the American Civil War. And especially with the things that are going on, we're recording this a little earlier for for listeners, with the things that are going on with Harry and Meghan and the British media right now, it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm also reading Talia Hibbert's most recent book, which is completely different. It's called... Uh, At your age, Eve Eve Brown. Brown. Yeah, but still, um, you know, thinking about the differences between the Black experience in America versus England is, uh, is particularly interesting at the moment.
1: And my book was i just started actor a g Brown was gonna be and uh i'm g- I'm listening to that on libro fm and uh so far really enjoying it uh it's funny the things I listen to are directly related to the projects I'm working on, and right now I'm you know signing book plates and doing that kind of stuff, and I'm also painting a bookcase, and this book is carrying me through that, and I'm really, really enjoying it so. Oh my goodness, thanks to both of you so much. This has been such a fascinating conversation. I have been dying to ask that question about gendered languages like French and Spanish for ages, especially since I was listening to David Sedaris and talking about how hard it was for him when he was learning French to remember the gender of things and someone told him that um for native speakers of french it's just nothing they think about like it's just this thing is feminine this thing is masculine and it's a fixed it's a fixed attribute of that thing and so how you separate that out is a fascinating conversation that maybe we'll have to have again another time or something like that because it's so cool all right until next week everyone keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work.
0: Listeners! I've got a podcast recommendation for you. Have you tried a bookish home yet? I've been a guest, and it's a delight. Librarian and writer Laura Zaro-Kopinski interviews a different author each week, so you can add to your TBR list while getting the inside scoop on the winding road to publication. Coming up this spring, she'll be talking to Amy Popple, Sarah Penner, Maggie Smith, and many more. So, Look for a bookish home wherever you get your podcasts.